Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. I'm going to read from God's Word this morning out of Philippians. I invite you guys to listen or read along. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of God. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I think it's kind of cool that we managed to get into a sermon on running a race on Marathon Weekend. Yeah. That's pretty impressive planning, isn't it? Um, yeah, we're good. We're not that good. Uh, this just happened to fall out that way. Uh, but it is kind of cool that it worked out that way and grateful for that. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father, I do pray that you would meet us in this place today. Father, I pray for those that are watching online that you'd meet them wherever it is that they're watching. Lord, would you? Um, yes, Lord. <laughs> would, you, would you allow us to cry out to you? Um, and Father, be able to laugh and be able to enjoy the goodness of your grace and how much you love us. And Father, I pray that, that we would be able to, to walk in freedom of your love for us. And because of that, because you have taken hold of us by Christ, that we would want to run a race for you. And that we'd run after you, that we'd seek you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. There's a guy named David Foster Wallace who wrote, uh, gave one of the most kind of famous graduation speeches. It's called This is Water. It went viral. It's been viewed many times. But one of the things he talks about in this graduation speech, he begins it with a story. He says there are these two young fish swimming along. And they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and eventually one of them looks over at the other fish and says, what the heck is water? And he goes on, wait for it, it'll come, yeah. Uh, But the point of the fish story really is that the most obvious stuff sometimes in life is the hardest things to notice. So often in life, you're swimming in certain waters, you're you're living in a certain way, you're operating in, in, in a certain mindset. But you don't even recognize it because it's been so much a part of the waters you're swimming in that you don't even realize what it is that you're doing. And so he goes on to say the point of the fish story is merely that the most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. 
I think the same is true for us in, in the spiritual life, that oftentimes it's easy to get sort of lulled to sleep by life, to go through the motions, to day by day doing the stuff that what just has to get done and forget sometimes why you exist at all. Do you ever feel like you just wake up and you pull out your phone and you look at your calendar and you look at the things that are there and you, you get out of bed and you just start in on the list and you start going through one thing after another after another and, and, and here's the thing I, I recognize about most of us. My biggest concern for you and for me is not that we're going to start breaking bad and end up selling meth out of an RV. Like I'm just, I, I mean, I'm just going to say, I, I don't think that's probably where most of you are headed. I mean, there's a few of you, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say, I don't think that's, that's where most of us are going to fall, trip up in life. Probably where we're going to trip up in life is we just get so busy about the normal everyday stuff of life that we forget why it is that we're here. And we just get stuck in the routines of, of work and school, of cooking and cleaning, of drop-off and pickup, of buying groceries and paying bills, of streaming stuff online and maybe sneaking away for a vacation occasionally. And we wander through our years and we look back and think and look at how much time we wasted, how much opportunity that we didn't take advantage of to just relish in, in who God is and we forget why it is that we're here at all. So let's take a look at Philippians 3 together. If you got your Bibles, you might open it up and look there. We're going to just look at four verses. In verses 12 to 16, we're going to see some stuff God does, and we're going to see some stuff that God calls us to do. And, and, and he kind of does a little bit of a dance between our responsibility and God's responsibility, or God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Um, but first, I want us just to start off and deal with kind of a strange term that, that points back to something Paul's been talking about earlier in Philippians. And so twice in, in this passage, he says uh, something, he kind of makes a reference. And, uh, and he says, uh, that, uh, not that I've already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own. But he doesn't really tell you what this and it are. And so there's kind of this, this question that's left there. And I think he's intentionally pointing back to something. And what he is talking about is that uh, the, this is the final deliverance that comes when he's resurrected with Jesus. If you go back to verses 10 to 12, he says that, that he's going to trust the Lord and the righteousness that comes from God through faith by grace, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings and that I may one day be raised again so that I share in his resurrection. What he's saying is there's a day that's coming when, and just by the, just by the way, by what, to get the resurrection, you have to die. So he's saying, I have to share in Christ's death so that I can share in his resurrection so that I can get to this final deliverance. And in this final deliverance, it's the place and the time when I get to go and be with the Lord and I get to enjoy him unfettered, unhindered, uh, unbound by sin with limitless enjoyment of the Lord. And that's what drives my life. So everything's kind of pushing to this ultimate culmination where he gets to enjoy life with Christ and experience kind of fullness of life with God. And so that's really where all this is aiming and where Paul is going to begin. And we're going to break this down just a little bit more, but I think it's important to think through uh, that question. What is the aim or goal of your life? And there's an old movie called City Slickers that most of you guys are too young to have seen. But in this movie, there's a character named Jack Palance, and it's a basic comedy setup. You can see it coming from a million miles away, but you've got these old cowboys on a ranch, and then you've got these young city slickers that are going to go out, and they're, they're kind of in midlife, and they're trying to find themselves, so they're going to go on a cattle drive in order to find themselves, because that makes all the sense in the world. 
that you're going to go run around with a bunch of animals that poop everywhere, and that's going to tell you the meaning of life. But that's where they go, and they're trying to kind of escape and, and go experience something new to find new things in life. And there's this old cowboy named Jack Palance, and he's, he's talking to this younger character that's played by Billy Crystal, and he looks at him at one point in the movie when things have kind of, they've gone through a lot of ups and downs, and things kind of come to a culmination. And he says, you know what the meaning to life is? And he says, what's that, Curly? He puts a finger up. Just does this. He goes, what's that? He says, one thing. He says, what's the one thing? And Curly said, that's what you have to figure out. And then he wrote off and left him with that. And here's the thing for us is Paul knows his one thing. He knows what the meaning of life is. He knows what the goal of life is. He knows what the one thing that ought to drive everything, that ought to orient everything, that ought to compel him forward is. It's similar, though, I think, to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 13. Jesus is telling a story. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he comes back and buys the field. So a treasure hidden in a field has been there for a long time. guy stumbles across it, sees it there, and goes, Man, I want to take that, but I don't want to steal it. So I'm going to go, and he sells everything he owns, buys that plot of land, digs up the treasure, and now he's got it. It's his. Jesus tells another story. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had, and he bought it. So he could have that one pearl. The stories Jesus is telling are asking a question. What's the one thing that you would bank your whole life on? What's the one thing that you would go all in? That you would take all your chips and go, throwing them all on the table. I'm putting everything in. I'm I'm, I'm not holding anything back, but I'm going to throw it all on the table in order to win this one hand because this is the one that's worth winning. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about. You know, when I was planning to ask my wife to marry me, I didn't have enough money. I was a college student coming out of college. We were poor. I tried to save a little bit. I got a job. Worked waiting tables, but you know how that goes. It's like you spend as much on food as you do, uh, you know, as, as you make coming in. And so I was trying to save money and trying to work. It didn't have enough. But at the time, I was actually riding a bike with the Baylor cycling team. Had bought a bike that bought it from an Olympic uh, Olympic trainer. Had this bike that was dialed in. It was the perfect bike for me. I loved that bike. I loved riding that bike. There was everything about it was perfect. Um, but I loved Nan more. And so I went and sold the bike so that I could buy my wife a ring and put a, put a ring on her finger and we could get married. And here's the thing. That was worth it to me. It was worth it to give us something I loved to, to get something that I loved even more. And I wanted to be able to call her mine. And so I went and put a ring on it. And Jesus was saying, and Paul was saying, that your relationship with God is worth more value than anything else in life. He's the one thing that you need. The one thing that ought to compel you to go all in and sell everything for him. That's the prize that he seeks. Now what happens with a Christian so often is we get stuck in a rut of just living life. We get stuck in a rut of just waking up and going to sleep, of of changing diapers, of um, cleaning up messes at work, cleaning up messes at home at succeeding in things and enjoying things and uh, having good meals and having meals that you wish you could skip because they were leftovers and going through the stuff of life and you get stuck in a rut, not just in life, but also just in Christian stuff. You get stuck in a rut of coming to church, but not really meeting with God. You get stuck in a rut uh, of hearing a, a podcast, but not really allowing it to grab your heart. You get stuck in a rut of trying to do the right stuff and look like a Christian, 
but not really treasuring Christ. And so you miss out on the good stuff. So here's what I want to do. I want us to look at four things. Paul is going to call us to run the race. And he's going to call us, and he uses these passionate words like, I'm going to press on, I'm going to strain forward, I'm going to take hold of the prize, I'm going to do these things. These, this is like a halftime speech. This is like, I'm going to, I'm going to get you in the in halftime. And, and, and you guys were falling asleep at the end of the first, second quarter. And at the end of the first half, you were, you were starting to fall asleep. So, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pump you up, and I'm going to scream and yell, and I'm going to go crazy. And that's sort of what Paul's doing in these verses is to try to get you fired up to go play the rest of the game as best you can. And so here's what we're going to do. By grace, we run the race with, and we're going to give you four different things. The first is gospel honesty. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Um, so Paul starts off, and the very first thing he says is he just makes a, very, a statement that's, that's really grounded in gospel humility or honesty. He says, look, I don't have it all together. And so it'd be easy to think of Paul, the guy that wrote so much of the New Testament, as a guy who had it all together. And Paul continually comes back and he says, he says, look, I don't have it all together. He stresses the incompleteness of his own spiritual journey. And so he repeatedly states these things. He says, I've not yet arrived. I've not yet attained it or taken hold of it. I'm not yet perfect, meaning I'm still in process. Any of you, any of you relate to that? Yes. Any of you glad to know you don't have to be perfect? Any of you glad to know? Uh, that you don't have to have arrived in order to ra- run the race. See, what, what I see here is important for us to understand that we're all in process. But to be in process is not an excuse to stop running. As I, I, well, sometimes I see Christians and we live with this kind of poverty mindset or defeated mindset where you're just like, oh, we're all broken, we're all sinners, so I guess we should just continue to sin and wallow in it. I guess we should just give up. I guess we should just stay here. And the thing is, God saves you where you are, but he didn't leave you where you are. He turns you, and and he he works out and and calls us to run the race. And so Paul starts off, and he he starts off with this kind of moment of honesty that just says, look, I don't have it all together. It's why he says, therefore, I press on. I need to press on because I haven't yet arrived. I, I don't yet have everything that God wants to do in my life. I have not yet taken hold of that, so I need to continue to pursue him in order to find a place of wholeness and holiness. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the, the despair of a, of a, a resume righteousness. That if we have this, this, we're trying to find our salvation or our righteousness through our resume and doing all the right things and our own self and our own flesh and achieving it, this resume righteousness says, well, it's all up to me, and if I do all the right things, I'm going to get rewarded for that. that. We all fall short, and so that leads us in a place of depression or despair ultimately and so we we're not saying when he says press on that it's all about your resume spiritually and you're doing all the right stuff right i mean that's not what paul's talking about he's going to start with grace we're going to see this in just a minute but what you have to understand is when we say i don't yet have it all together i have not yet arrived that's not an excuse paul says in romans uh, because there's grace for my sin should i just keep sinning and he says no you should turn and you should trust the Lord. Grace should turn us around. And so he's going to point us away. So Paul is affirming two things here. One, that he does not yet know Jesus the way he will one day know him. I've yet taken hold of everything I want to have. And two, that he already is in process, moving in a direction. So he starts off with gospel honesty, and that's where we all have to start. 
the 12-step programs understood this long before we did, or maybe, maybe they actually got it from here, I would say, is a different way of putting that. That they look at this, and you have to start off with acknowledging where you are before you can move forward. So you start off with gospel honesty. Secondly, we're going to ask the question, then Paul's going to go to the next verse, what should motivate Christians toward growth and obedience? Why then do we obey? Why do we run the race? So by grace, we run with gospel honesty. We also run with gospel resilience. Um, when you think about this term, uh, look at verse 12. We're going to see what resilience looks like. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. This word that make me his own, the, the phrase there, I press, or to do it really is referring to, uh, to take something aggressively would be the translation. It would be to, to grasp or to seize, to, to run after something so that you take over it is the phrase that's here. And here's what's fascinating. Paul says, uh, Paul says, I press on to make it my own, to seize it, to grasp it, to take it for myself. But you notice the motivation of why he does that. Because Christ has taken hold of me. It's the same word. Because Christ has taken hold of me. He's seized me. He's grasped me. He's taken control of me. Because Christ has taken me, I'm going to try to take hold of the prize of knowing Christ. Which one comes first? Christ. Um, I'm going to do this because Christ has already taken hold of me. So therefore, I want to take hold of the prize. And this is, this is important because Paul, two, two different places in these verses, Paul uh, kind of grounds everything he's saying in the gospel. And one is this place where he says, it starts with Christ initiating and taking hold of me before I pursue him. And he also later is going to talk about the upward call of God, meaning that God from heaven called out to you and called you up into something new. And so God initiated by calling you into this. And both of those are, those are places where we see grace, where God is saying, I'm going to make the first move. And that's important for us. Friends, Paul is absolutely pouring his whole heart and life into pursuing Jesus, but it's only because Christ first pursued him. We love because Christ loved us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The order makes all the difference here. And so Paul balances his self-distrust. Remember in honesty where he's like, look, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. I haven't done it all. So he's got this kind of self-mistrust, but he balances that with this incredible confidence in Christ. But even though I haven't arrived, I'm going to press on because Christ himself has already taken hold of me. Therefore, I can trust that I'm going to move in the right direction. He's confident in God's grace. Any of you know Paul's redemption story? If you look in, in the book of Acts, it's a pretty fascinating story. Paul talks about, or it describes it there in Acts 9. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters of the synagogues of Damascus. And so that if anyone, if he found anyone who was committed to the way of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went that way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and for three days he was without sight. 
neither ate nor drank. Um, Paul literally was knocked to the ground by a voice from heaven that called him into a new life. Um, how, how many days was Paul blind? How many days was Jesus in the tomb? What happened when Jesus got out of the tomb? He rose again to new life. What's Paul going to do? He's going to change his name from Saul to Paul and says, you are now mine. I've taken hold of you. I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new mission. And he's going to send him out to move forward in the life that he's given him. So this kind of transformation thing that happens is exactly what he's talking about. Friends, do you have a redemption story of when Christ took hold of you? When Christ called you up? It started for Paul with his conversion. It happened then with his redirection. And and then his learning to walk with the Lord. And it's going to end in his final deliverance to go be with the Lord. Friends, do you do you know what it is that Christ has taken hold of you? Go back to verse 9 when it says that I've, I've been found in him. That your life is not about your resume, but your life is about the, the goodness of Christ and your confidence is placed in him. Friends, all the efforts of being important, of being good, of doing life your way, didn't, they're not going to lead you where you think they're going to go. And yet Christ breaks in and he takes hold of you. He calls you in a new direction. And that's ultimately where life is. He saved me, not because of righteous things which I have done, but because of his mercy, Scripture says. And so we trust that. It's all ultimately about grace. But friends, here's the thing I want you to understand, because it's important to say this as we look at this passage. One of the the ways you'll hear this passage sometimes preached is just this sort of a self-help call for you to do better. Run harder. Press on. Strain more. Do more. Run the race faster. You can do this. Go get it. Spiritually, if you just commit to the right stuff, then God's going to reward you. But that's not what the passage says. The passage says, run the race, because Christ has already taken hold of you. So, so, so run to the finish line, because your finish has already been determined by Christ when he got out, out on the cross and said, it is finished. The war's already won. You have to run into that. And so you're not running after the things of God in order to earn God's love, but you're running because you already have God's love. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance and change. So I want us to say this out loud. I've got just a little saying here on the screen behind me. Would you just, um, it just says, grace before grit. Um, This is the important thing, I think, about this passage is we have to understand this. Would you just say that out loud with me? Just say grace before grit. You have to trust Christ's grace before you commit yourself to the grit of trying to run the race. Do you understand why that's important? See, your belief has to come before your behavior changes. If if you start by thinking, I have to fix myself and work my way up, and I have to grit my teeth and and pull myself up by bootstraps and do all the right stuff in order to earn God's love, you're going to be exhausted and you're going to end up in a place of despair because your resume is never going to be enough. But if you start with God's grace and say, I already have God's love in Jesus, then you move forward to run the race. It turns the order completely around. That's why you get to verse 13, and Paul is going to point us in in that direction. So by grace, we run the race with honesty. We run it with resilience. We also run it with focus or, or with a gospel aim or goal. So Paul in verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal 
of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul takes this athletic metaphor and he works it out. And so often in Paul, when he's going to try to motivate us, he references us to like the hard work of a farmer or takes a military analogy or he takes something uh, from, from athletics and he points us in that direction. And here, he really takes the idea of a race. And it's someone who is an athlete who's straining forward with every muscle, every nerve, every breath focused on just trying to get to the finish line. And so everything in their whole life is aimed in a direction. And they're given everything that they possibly have singularly focused on the goal of winning the prize that's in front of them. Um, any of you like to compete in your glory days? You look back and you remember what that's like and now it just seems tiring. But back then you looked at it and you're like, I think it was worth it then. Uh, some of you guys have had three or four surgeries and you still got limps because you fought so hard to win the prize back then. And Paul's pointing back to times like that. Uh, there's people that are out on a marathon course today that are laying down everything they got to try to get to the finish line and they're exhausted and they're grabbing a, a drink of water and just praying that they can get to the finish line today. And it's going to take everything they get to get, everything they have to get there. And they're going to lay it all on the line. And that's the picture that Paul has. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I strain with every ounce of my being for the goal. What is the goal? The goal is Jesus. To know Jesus. To have a relationship with the Lord. Uh, you know the images he used, he kind of points back, he says, forgetting what lies behind. What happens if you're running a race and you're constantly doing this? You, you, you lose time, don't you? You're distracted. And so if he starts off and he says, looking back is only going to slow your progress. It's wasted energy. It's, it's counterproductive. Uh, the, this runner is not distracted by other things. He's not constantly looking over his shoulder. He's not constantly trying to rework things or, or see where everyone is or see how well he's done in the before. In the past, he knows that none of that really matters right now. All he can do is take what the moment he's in and say, I want to press on to get to the goal. And so he's going to then turn and he fixes his goal, his eyes on the finish line, straining forward to what lies ahead. Friends, I think this is important for us to, to recognize that the goal of his running was Christ. Christ was the one in, in uh, previous, we saw last week, is the one of sur surpassing value or superior worth. Christ is the super thing, Paul says. Christ is the super thing that's greater than any other thing. He's the one that I'm going to run after. And so he wants to gain Christ fully and completely. But you notice what he also, as he goes on, he says, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. This phrase, call of God, actually references something that goes all the way back through the Old Testament and comes up to this point. It's God calling you out. It's a called out people. It's a people that in the world God has spoken to says, you're mine. I'm taking hold of you and I'm calling you out so that you might pursue me and you might be one of the people of God. And so Paul's referencing that and he calls it the upward call of God, meaning the, the heavenward call of God. That you're being called out of the, the muck and mire of this world to something greater, something higher, you know, to lift your eyes and your gaze to something new. And so he calls people by his grace. And there's a, there's a sense in which when you're called out from someone else, that you're dependent upon their direction, aren't you? It's like a, a parent that is trying to get their kid's attention, so they're hollering in the other room, and sometimes you have to holler a few times to get their attention, right? But you're, you're trying to get, you're screaming their name, and you're calling them out because you need, you, you want something from them. 
hey, come here and come see this thing that we're doing together. And you're calling them into something new. That's what the Lord's doing. He initiates and calls them into this place. He calls all kinds of people. It says he calls Jew and Gentile, Greek and Scythian. He calls uh, slave and free. He calls men and women. He calls all kinds of people by his grace to come and be united with Christ. I love what 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see what Paul's trying to get you to understand? You were called not just to escape hell. You were called not just to, to sin less. You are called not just to try harder and do better. You were called to be in fellowship with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus, to be found in Christ and have life in him and to enjoy him forever. Friends, if you're a Christian and you don't love Christ, you might be missing the point. How easy is it, though, for us to go about the stuff of being a Christian and miss Christ? It's easy for us to do. But what you see here is we're called by, we're called by God into relationship with Christ. And ultimately, the, I think the problem in our day is that we're smart and we're wealthy and we're important and we're comfortable. And so we are self-satisfied. And we're so focused on trying to enjoy life now like it's heaven that we don't have this kind of future orientation that Paul has. And so Paul says, no, I'm straining with every fiber of my being to what lies ahead. Meaning there's something better out there. There's something further out there. There's something, there's a finish line I'm running toward and it's for me to be with Jesus and to enjoy him forever. In an, un, in an unfettered unhindered by sin, unlimited sort of way. That that's ultimately where God's going to take you. Friends, do you realize that's your destiny if you're a Christian? Your destiny is that you're going to be in a world, in new heavens and a new earth, where you get to run and play and dance and eat and enjoy life under the care of Christ, without sin, where everything's been made entirely new. Friends, the body you have right now as felt and sexy as it is, is not going to go with you to the next world. You're going you're gonna to lay it down in a grave and God's going to give you a new body. You're going to experience a death and then a resurrection. And that new resurrection, it's going to be a, a body that's, that's, that, that, that is untainted by sin, but it's not going to, uh, it's going to be unperishable and it's going to be indestructible because of Christ. But you're going to enjoy him no longer just seeing faintly who he is, but you're going to see Jesus as he really is. You're not just going to get a glimpse of this guy that was on a cross in this empty tomb. You're not just going to read the Gospels and try to imagine what it's like. You're not going to have to watch a television show that captures it a little bit in a historical kind of fiction. But you're going to, you're going to actually see him. You're going to know him. You're going to be in his presence. And it's easy to ignore that in this world and just go from cooking one meal to washing the dishes to the next thing and forget that, that you have a destiny of being with Jesus. And so for Paul, all the determination and dedication to press on and strain forward is a response to who Jesus is and his desire to know him more. Friends, we need to, we need to live this way. We need to remind our neighbors that this is true. 
Friends, our neighbors don't need to see us so much as being good, but they need to see us as trusting a good Savior. What's going what's gonna to be compelling to those in, in our city that need to know the grace of Christ is not how good you are. It's how good your Jesus is. It's not just that you bear the name of Christ as a Christian and you can post about it on social media, but that you, that, that you bear a love for Christ because Christ has rescued you. And everything in your life and every fiber of your being says, Christ has taken hold of me. And my, my future is certain with him. And because of that, I want to pursue him more than anything else. He is the, he's the thing of surpassing worth. He is the super thing that makes everything else look like junk in comparison. And so why would I not want to pursue him? And so we run the race with gospel honesty. We run it with gospel resilience. We run it with gospel focus or aim. The last thing we're going to see, and this one's encouraging, I think, is that we run the race with gospel patience. Look what Paul says in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Um, he talks about a mindset. This word uh, where he says, let us, those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, you might be able to translate that. Let those of us who are mature have this mindset in us. It's, a, it's the same word that he points back in Philippians, earlier in Philippians 2 where he says, Christ Jesus had this mindset that he did not grab hold of or take hold of his position as God, but he emptied himself, became a man, and was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And so Christ in his humility served all people. He says, have this mindset that Christ had. Here he comes back around and he says that those of us mature should have this mindset. What mindset is he talking about? saying we should take this view of things. And Paul's going to do what he does so often in, in his epistles. He starts off with the way we think, and then he says that should inform the way we act. So a lot of times in the New Testament epistles, it'll start off in the first three chapters, we'll deal with how we're to think rightly about the things of God. And then the next three chapters say, now in light of everything we've learned, this is how we should then live. And he, and he points us in that direction. That's sort of what Paul is doing here. He says we should have this mindset in ourselves that says, that Christ has taken hold of me, therefore I will seek to take hold of the prize of knowing Christ. And so it's a gospel mindset. It's an understanding that grace comes before grit, but grit should come. That, that, that Christ is worthy of my whole life, that Christ is the surpassing thing, the super thing, that I ought to lay down everything and just say, I will give up anything to get to be with him because he's the one who saved me. And he's going to point us in that direction. Ironically, um, what, part of what Paul's saying is that only those who know they have not yet arrived are the mature ones. So what does maturity look like as a Christian? Uh, and and he's, he's probably doing a little tongue-in-cheek sort of a joke here. But he says, listen, only those of us who are mature. But what did he start off the passage? It's the same word he used when he said, I'm not yet perfect. And he's saying, I, I haven't really arrived yet. But those of us that have sort of arrived, what we know is that we haven't arrived yet, but Christ has taken hold of us, and we're, we still have work to do, so we're still going to try to seek him even more. Do you see what he's doing? There's this kind of patience that he has with himself, saying uh, that, that we need to have this mindset ourselves, saying, I've not yet arrived. And yet, in knowing that I've not yet gotten to the finish line, I'm still going to press on. I'm going to run hard after the things of God and try to try to take hold of them. But you notice there's also a sense 
in which he gives patience, has patience with others, and we need to practice this. Verse 15, he says, uh, and I kind of love the way he says, if, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Right? Like, and if any of you are wrong, God will straighten it out at some point. Um, which, is, which is so refreshing for me. Because here's what that means. It means my job isn't to change you. That's God's job. And Paul says, I, I know what the gospel mindset is. I know what is true. I know what, what, what it is that I believe. I'm not waffling on the truth. But I also know that, that some of you probably don't see it completely. The, probably don't see everything that I, or understand everything I'm, gonna, I'm talking about. And I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to, going to show you in his own time as well. But friends, as we think about what does it look like to press on, to strain forward, to fight for this, it's going to take some patience. Some of you guys have been doing this for 50 years. And there's still stuff that isn't fixed, right? But God's not done with you yet. What's Paul saying? 1-6. He who began a good work will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He started. He's not done yet. He will get there. Right now we're in process. Right now we're at the place where I've not yet arrived. Right now I'm at the place where I've not gotten to the finish line. But we have to press on. So how do we live this out, this mindset? We start with gospel truth, then we move to gospel living. Grace always comes before grit. Friends, let me ask you this. What is your greatest identity? What is the thing that when someone says, who are you? What's the thing that first comes to mind? So often we lead with, I'm in sales. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. But that's not your greatest identity. Grace identity, Paul says, is Christ has taken hold of me. Because that's your greatest identity. Your greatest identity is not I'm single or I'm married or I'm a mother or I'm a father. Your greatest identity is not I'm a competitive CrossFit athlete or I'm a size two or I drive a Tesla. Your greatest identity is I belong to Jesus. Christ has taken hold of me. I will be found in him. Friends, none of those things that I listed off are bad things, but they're not the super thing. They're not the thing of surpassing worth that would make you throw all your chips in and say, I would give up everything to know him, to get to the finish line, to be with him. But that's why we need an upward upward call that calls us out of the stuff that we live in so often and calls us to a higher goal and something to chase after. So I want to end with this. I want to encourage you with this. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't that good news? The God who called you is faithful. He will do it. He will bring you to the finish line. He will get you there. And friends, can I just say this? If you're unmotivated to press on, if there's nothing in you that's compelled to strain forward to the finish line, if you don't want to know Christ, I just ask the question, has Christ taken hold of you? Do you know him? Or are you still living by your resume? Are you still living by a self-directed life? Are you still self-satisfied? And there's nothing that tells you that you need a God who saves you and reaches down for you and pulls you up and says, this one is mine, I will take him home. Because if you understand the faithfulness of God and what he's promised you, and it will change your heart, and it will stir you in a unique way and reorient all of life. So for those of us that are Christians and for those of us that we are confident Christ has taken hold of us, let me just ask you, let me just say this. 
The Christian life is not merely a matter of being good and going to heaven. It's ultimately about knowing Christ, knowing the Lord, and having a relationship with him and walking with him. And that was Paul's goal. Every fiber of his being was aimed at that. So I want to end with this. I want to show you a video. And just to give you a picture of what it looks like to strain with every fiber of your being for something. And I want to ask you the question, is your life currently marked by straining forward to what lies, uh, what lies ahead? Uh, this is a video of my son, Luke, running the last race of his high school career. And he's running after a guy on a team that was their arch rival. They were fighting for the state championship. And a lot of it was coming down to this race. Started about five meters behind. And later, um, uh, when, when I asked him about it, I said, you know, what was your strategy? He threw all pace out the window and ran with abandon. The first lap, literally everyone on the sidelines is gasping, going, oh, no, he's in trouble. He's going to run out of energy. Passes that dude and just drops the hammer and keeps going. And here's the thing as, I, as, as you watch that, I want to ask you, is there anything in your life that strains forward for Christ like that? Are you pressing on like that to the finish line of getting to be with Jesus? Are you singularly focused on the destiny that God has for you, that you are going to run a race with everything in your life, every nerve, every breath, every muscle focused on getting to the finish line of your race. That's ultimately what Paul is talking about. That's the picture he wants us to have. And when we think about life, what if you approached every day and you said, would this help me know Jesus better? Was this in line with God's upward call of my life? Is this evidence of the power of Christ's resurrection in my life? Do you look as spiritually devoted as an athlete fighting with every breath and muscle to get to the finish line. This is what we're to be about. So friends, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would know the grace that grabs hold of us and never lets go. The grace that took the first step to come to us, that while we were yet enemies, died for us, that while we were while we were ignorant and foolish and running in our own direction, that Christ laid down his life. He emptied himself, became one of us, became a servant, obedient all the way to death, died on the cross, but didn't stay there, was resurrected. And because of that, we receive a call, a call to new life, a call to forever life. Father, would you compel us to run the race by grace? Would you give us the grit to keep going, to never give up, to stay the course, to hold fast to that which is true, and to trust your grace in all of life? Father, might we do it because of grace and for the sake of grace? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.